0: This is Radiance Tape Number JD 130, a message by Jim Durkin entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. I would like to tonight lay down just some basic ideas or concepts. I will use some scriptures, but not too many. I'd like you just to be letting your mind dwell on an idea. We will in the future messages, bring many, many scriptures, have them on the board, and also uh, you can copy them down, or maybe we'll even be able to make it so that you can get these in paper form, sheet form, and have them for yourself, the scriptural references. But tonight, I'd rather have you just sit back, not try to leaf through your Bibles too fast, or try to follow everything. and read on both sides and so on. Just hear what I'm saying tonight. I think all of you here tonight would know what I'm speaking about if I were to say that most of us are not together. It's a term that young people use today. Say, I've got to get my head together, or I've got to get myself together, or I've got to get my family together, or I must get my most of us are not together. Now, to be sure, we have our outward act together. See, so when we go down to the job, we know that certain things are required of us, and so in that certain area, we carry through with that. But sometimes in order to do that, we must use aspirin tablets or APC tablets or Alka-Seltzer tablets and so forth, or our act would come apart very quickly. Say, I cannot stand it. My head is killing me and I need to get out of this place. All right. We come home at night, and uh, sometimes that can be more of a torture than a blessing. Yes. Depends on what happens. And I know this is so. In my own life, when my children were small, there were times I would come home, and I was happened to be feeling better. Now, I'll discuss much about feeling, because most people are ruled by their feelings instead of ruled by a much higher principle of living, which would bring your feelings to where they belong, so that you're able to operate in any kind of an emotional situation without I've got to hold myself together, not that, but simply able to move through that situation with grace and love and mercy and all of the good things that God speaks about. Sometimes I would come home and my children would Meet me at the door, jumping up and down, daddy, daddy, daddy is coming, and I'd open the door, and here they would run, one jump on one foot, and one the other, girl wasn't born at that time, and of course I would walk across, big strong man that I was, and there on my feet, you know, and it's just always a joyous time had by all. And then maybe, <laughs> another time, I would come home, and something had happened in the daytime, and now my act was not together. See, my act when I came in at night was to be daddy. But sometimes I was not daddy. Sometimes I was raging, lying, insane man, uh idiotic person or whatever the case would be, and I was not about to get my act together. See? And the children they were standing there, daddy, 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 and I ran out of that kind of Get Out of here. I I my... I my wife <laughs> Then I would kind of step back and say, Boy, when you lose your temper. It's a magnificent thing. You know how people just... Oh. Now let me ask you a question. Are you laughing at me or a little bit at yourself? I mean, you're laughing a little bit at yourself. And I see your hand. Why? sure, see, sure, that's right. Now, there were other things which I learned later in my life, I didn't understand at the time, that I did not have my life together. So tonight, when I talk about these concepts, I want you to follow me through. Some of the things I'll say will be a little bit heavy, that's alright, you listen to that. Because they're not meant to be heavy toward you, but for all of us to come to a place of common thought about these things. Say, we have a problem together. And God wants to take us out of that problem. God wants to set us free, God wants to deliver us, God wants to give us freedom in these areas, and we want to be free. I do not want to be controlled by my emotions. I do not want to be controlled by circumstances outside of myself. I desire to be controlled by God's Spirit who lives in me, and I want to walk and express the life and nature of Jesus. And that's what you want too, isn't it? That's what we desire. All right. So tonight then, the things that I say, you just simply follow it and we'll see where it takes us. Heavenly Father, pray now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you let us look into this subject which you have revealed and put it in different places in scriptures. You said here a little, there a little, line upon line. And, Father, help us to take it from these various places and put it together in a way that we can understand it and grasp it and then begin to put it into use. Grant that, Father, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, the basic premise that I'm going to use is that God is love. And if we were to see God who dwells in the light that no man can approach to, or to see his beloved son, Jesus Christ, and in that kind of an atmosphere where it was not necessary to deal with sin or to deal with that which goes even beyond sin to the kind of rebellion that Satan has manifested where the heart of Satan is just utterly closed off and utterly unrepentant, cannot be made that way anymore. If we were to see the Lord Jesus long before there was ever anything created, if we were to see the Eternal Father and the Eternal Spirit in relationship to each other, we would see coming out of the Eternal Father, we would see an atmosphere of no fear, whatever. There would be no fear from the Father that the Son was attempting to take over his place as the Eternal Father. There would be no place in the heart of the Son that feared that the Eternal Father would stop loving him and he would be cast away from his presence. There would be no fear on the part of the Holy Spirit that his place, carrying out the work of the Eternal Father, would be taken away from him. There would in that atmosphere of relationship be no such emotions as we can think of today that are expressed by words like envy, greed, lust, all of the other things that make the earth an unpleasant place to be at times. There would be between them no feelings or emotions of hatred by which people become murderers. See, that would be an atmosphere in which you could go and say, This is completely strange to this world in which we live, because no such emotions that we know are like that. Now consider that God, a God of love, determines to create man. And he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, give him dominion over the earth, over the fish and the fowl and so forth and so on. Then God came down to the earth and he made man. Now, to deal with that image and likeness, let me simply say that the basic way in which man is like God is that man is essentially creative like God is creative. Now, this is going to be an important point, so I want you to hear it. Something which for him does not exist. Something which for him he has not seen up to this time. He is able to see it, to perceive it, to understand it and then began to work with what he has to produce it. For instance, years ago, men dreamed that they could fly to the moon. Now, at that present time, it was not possible to do it. But back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, God said when he went down to the Tower of Babel that was being built by the children of men, He said, now this which they have imagined to do, and now nothing shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. There's something about man like God. That God is able to conceive of an earth that never existed and say, let there be, and there was. He is able to conceive of a kind of creation that never existed, man, and make him. He is able to speak a word, and into being come millions or billions of angels, I do not know, or stars, or a universe, or world upon world, or age upon age that never existed before. Man is like that, limited to be sure, lesser to be sure, created as opposed to creator, but he's like God, but also there's something else that in the beginning he was like God, God intended that man should be able to express the nature of God, the emotions of God, the feelings of God, the thoughts of God, the attitudes of God, the ways of God. And so when he made man, he made him in his image and after his likeness. He made him never to know emotions of hatred, never to feel violence. Never to experience lust. Never to know that kind of wrath and anger, which man presently knows today, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. He made him in that same atmosphere of Father, Son, and Spirit that I spoke to you about. He planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had made. He put every tree that was beautiful, animals, plants, plants, the stars, the moon, the sun, the weather, and he gave it to man to dress the garden and to keep it. Now that was an idyllic and perfect atmosphere, and that man was in this kind of a relationship. He was three parts. The Bible talks about it in New Testament, First Thessalonians five twenty three. So I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So man then is spirit, soul. Now, it's an interesting thing, and I just make this as an aside. Most of us turn that around completely, showing where our interests are, and we say, what? Body, soul, and spirit, right. See, but the scripture always says it this way, spirit, soul, body. Because the spirit is the most important part of you. It is you. When the spirit of God was breathed into a man, he became a living soul. The soul is an instrument of expression. To be sure, it's sentient, it's knowledgeable. It is you in another sense of the word. Spirit, the spiritual man. Soul, the soulish man. Soma, the physical man. All right. Now, these three are in touch with each other. They are indivisible by ordinary means. The soul and the spirit can be driven out of the body by destroying the machine. Then the soul and the spirit will depart. But as long as the soul and spirit are in the body, we have what we call life. When we have something called death, it is not the cessation of the man. We say, he's dead, he's gone. That's right. The word is, he is gone. See, spirit and soul left the body and went on to some other area. All right, now, God put man in the garden, spirit, soul, and body. Though you cannot separate these things by any known means, in other words, you could not take a sword and push it through a man, say some non-vital spot, and say, okay, i push pushed through the body now, now I'm touching the soul, now I'm touching the spirit. Nor could you by electrical probing instruments or anything else, you could not by physical means find the dividing point between body, soul, and spirit, spirit, soul, and body. Starting with the body into the soul, into the soul, cannot do that. But the Bible says what we cannot do physically, there's something that can do that. Who can tell me what it is? The Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to that dividing point between soul and spirit, and is a joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what the physical man cannot do by any amount of probing, the Word of God is able to divide or penetrate to that dividing point between these things. So there is a dividing point. Here's spirit, here's soul, here's body. They are divisible, even though they are connected and together. Now in the garden, God intended man to be like this. God through his spirit would contact man's spirit, because our spirit is capable of knowing God. See, that's why the Bible says, You have been renewed after the knowledge of him that created him. Your spirit has been recreated. It was dead. Now, dead does not mean cease to exist. Dead means cut off from the life which is in God. So here then is the spirit of man and the spirit of God. And God intended that his spirit and man's spirit should be joined like this. Separate to be sure. It will always be the eternal spirit of God and the spirit of man. But they were to be joined which is what God has worked in the New Testament, says the Spirit of God will come to you and he will abide with you forever. In other words, he will live within you now forever. See? And that will be an eternal joining. Now that was the way it was planned to be in the beginning, had man not sin. But not only is the Word of God able to penetrate to those points, but something else is able to penetrate to those points, and that's the Word of Satan, or the Word of unbelief. You see... If I believe that which Satan speaks to me, it is able to penetrate and destroy, just like the word of God is able to penetrate and heal. The word of God, he sent his word and healed them. Satan sends his word and destroys all who believe it. If you believe his way, you become a slave of him. You believe God's way, you become God's slave. One is death, the other is life. In the garden, God was to be joined to man's spirit. Man's spirit... The highest part of him, knowing God, able to understand God, able to experience God, able to express God, able to grasp the the mind and the heart and the emotions of God, was to rule over the soulish part of man. And the soulish part of man, being the emotions, the intellect, the will, was to direct the body so that body becomes an expressive instrument for God. Now, I want you to see what this is. This is merely a vehicle... I do not need it for life. I need it for life on this earth, but I do not need it for life. If I were to die at this moment, my body would be here, but I would not be gone in the sense of like ceasing to exist. I would simply be gone in a sense of whatever is out there for me. And Paul said, we do not want to be unclothed, so the body is closed. We don't want to be unclothed, we want to be clothed upon with our house from heaven. So there's another house for me. When I leave this house, I go on to another house. But the real purpose of this body is a vehicle of expression in this world. See? Now, my hands are a vehicle of expression. So, if I speak many times, I will say, and it was very small, or I would say it was large, and my face will also take on a part of that. I'll say very small, very large, or it was loud and strong, or it was mighty, or it was, and so. My body is a vehicle of expression. It's the means by which physically I'm able to communicate with other physical beings. But now, man in the garden, perfectly joined to God. One day, the Lord comes to him and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Before he does this, he prays all the animals that he had created, all the ones that are here today, plus others, because some have disappeared now, all the ones he prays in before Adam. And the Bible says, Adam named them. And whatever he named them, that was the name of them. Now, notice this amazing thing. We find nothing in the Bible talks about Adam learning to speak. We don't find anything in the Bible where he makes Adam, and then God sits there and says, baby, dog. See, and finally, go, baby, dog. And finally, well, Adam, now, oh, boy, you're getting ready you to speak, Adam. I'll be able to talk with you pretty quick. Oh, no, it's nothing like that. Adam intuitively was able to speak and to communicate with the Eternal Father. So God was able to speak to him, and he's able to return that. Long comes the animals. Now, once again, I say the same thing. You must understand it. And I know that you do understand it, because in spiritual things, there is a knowing that you cannot explain by natural means. For instance, how do you know that Jesus Christ is Lord? You don't know it because you read it in the Bible. See, someone said, Why well, not? Because I read it in the Bible. No, that is not true. You know it because of something beyond what you read in the Bible. Thousands of people have read this in the Bible. And they've also read something about Buddha, and they've also read something about other avatars and other saviors. And other, well, maybe it's this one, maybe it's this one, maybe. But you read something, or you heard something, and something witnessed to the innermost part of your being that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, Lord, I received you as my Savior. And you know you pass from death. And How do you know? Well, the Bible says his spirit bears witness with what? Our spirit. That we are children of God, see? All right, now back in those times, this knowledge was imparted to Adam quite apart from God saying, all right, now we're going to go through this. Here's the various phylum. Here's the various categories of animals. Here's the various. There's nothing like that at all was simply a deep understanding in Adam, and when that animal came by with that language that he simply knew, he said this is a, like if I was speaking of mine, this is a this is an eagle, or this is a donkey, or this is a horse, or this is an elephant, or this is a and that whole parade of things, or whatever Adam named them, that was the name thereof. Adam was a totally together man. His spirit joined the God spirit. See, he was alive, totally alive. Now, God said to him, the day you eat of that tree, though, you will die. Now, he didn't mean cease to exist. He simply meant that God's spirit would be separated from Adam's spirit, and this spirit would lose its strength because it must have continual strength from God. It would lose its strength, become weak, and the result is what would happen. i put it out to you now. The soul would rise up in tyranny and begin to rule over the spirit. The emotions, the intellect, the will, ruling the spirit, And then henceforth, all the bad things I'm going to tell you about happens because of the tyranny of the soul, which rules over the spirit. Now, the deliverance of man finally takes place when once again, through the spirit of God, joining with man, the spirit of God rises up and says to the soul, go back into your place and serve like you were meant to serve. And then our emotions become the emotions again of God. See, not wrath, anger, strife, malice, hatred, but Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. Now, God now creates an help me for Adam. One day Satan comes to the help me. Now please notice, up to this point there was never any thought. One day Satan comes to this help me and says to her, Hath not God said you can eat of every tree of the garden? He said, No, we may not eat of every tree of the garden. Some this one tree, we're not to eat of it, nor are we to touch it lest we die. Satan says, you shall not surely die. Now, I want you to please notice something. Up to this time, she'll go by that tree and maybe curiously, interestedly look at it and say, well, God said not to eat of it. And I have no envy. I have no lusting thoughts. I have no, I'm going to have my own way. I have no, mm, mm, you know, this, that. She didn't have that kind of a thought. They so just simply go by and look at it. Well, God said not to do it. And I've got all these wonderful trees to partake of and look at that. And here, here, Adam, is your dinner, your lunch, or whatever. No, thank you, Eve. And, man, it was just love and beauty and harmony in that garden. The animals would go by. No growling or snarling or fighting or tearing or asunder, rending asunder. It was harmony, just like it was harmony with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Although sin was already in the universe, but not as far as Adam was concerned. He was being kept here, and here's God united with his spirit, and all he's feeling is love. Joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. And that's flowing into his spirit and his soul, completely following that pattern, expresses love toward Eve, gentleness toward her, kindness, long-suffering, faith. Filled right on through. She, on the other hand, the same relationship to God, expresses the same thing back to him. And they walk expressing the life and nature Of God. Now, Satan comes in and says, here with his word, see, up to this point, God's word. Heal, they're together, they're one person. Now, Satan comes in with his word and says, can't you really eat of every tree of the garden? No, no. We're not supposed to eat of that tree or touch it lest we die. Well, I want to tell you something. I wish to tell you that God is a liar. You will not surely die. But I'll tell you something else. God knows that in the day you eat of that, you'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Your eyes will be open. And God doesn't want you to be like that. He wants to keep it all to himself. And all you are is a little bitty payon down here. He's a great big God. Well, you can be like God yourself. Okay, now, for the first time here, love, joy, peace... For the first time something else crept into her which was like Yeah. Why can't I eat it that tree? Well, go ahead, Eve, eat it. Look at it. Look how good it is for food? Yes. And desire to make one wise? Yes. Beautiful to the eyes? Yes. Take it. it. She eats. And immediately now notice something is in her now, see. Not oh wow. Now it's like I did it. A whole different set of emotional patterns are now beginning to develop because something has separated her from the life which is in God. Now, first thing she said, well, I don't want to be alone in this. I'll tell you, in case something comes down on my head, somebody else is going to be in this deal with me too. Like, so she runs right over to her husband and said, I partook of the treat. What did you do that for? Well, I did it because it was good, and, you know, and this and, and furthermore." What right has God got to keep us from having the good things of life and the best things of life? And I tell you, I feel this Well, and I say, oh, this isn't right. This isn't right. I know it isn't right. But don't you want me, Adam? Don't you want to be happy with me, Adam? Don't you want to share your life with me, Adam? And the Bible says he with his eyes wide open. See, so the last time we blame the woman. Now, she was at fault what she did. But the man was at far greater fault for what he did. Says so he knew what he was doing. He understood the full nature and consequences of that act and he partake of it, and says the eyes of them both were open, and they knew. Now, notice next pattern. Not love, joy, peace anymore, but fear. God will get us. And they run high, see, they're naked, and begin to make themselves, oh, we must cover ourselves now. And then this God will get, not coming to God and saying, oh, Lord, we're waiting for you to come down in the cool of the day. We're waiting to speak to you, Lord. We want to be with you. We want to see you. We want to talk with you. We want to... No, not that anymore. Now it's fear and hiding. Now, in the day that you eat there, you will surely die. What happened is, God's Spirit separated from. And that reuniting never took place until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and he sent the Holy Spirit, because of that bloodshed, to come into us And abide there forever. Very important thing, to be filled with God's Spirit. I urge every one of you if not filled with the Spirit, to seek to be filled to the uttermost with God's Spirit. But in all cases, to be united through Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here tonight who does not know the Lord Jesus, come back into that place where you're totally united with him. Now, when man sinned, what happened? His spirit, needing life from God to remain strong, was now cut off from the life which was in God. The spirit began to weaken and shrivel. That's the best way I can put it. It was very weak, not able to maintain his place of rule. The soul rose up as a tyrant over the man and said... I'm giving the orders around here. And the body paid the price of the whole thing. The body began to age. The body began to deteriorate. The body began to suffer the pangs of sickness, tremendous emotional things going on in the body like this, and the war that's going back and forth, the battles of conscience and guilt and fear and all the other things began to produce a totally three-part man. Spirit over here dead in trespass and sin. Not dead in the sense to cease to exist. It can still exist. It can still contact certain spiritual areas but it had no relationship to god secondly the soul rose up to become the tyrant so the emotional nature of man and that how do we how do we describe a man we say he's an emotional man or he's a cold-blooded man or he's a angry man or he's an see we describe him in terms of emotion very that's the normal way of expressing ourselves, because the soul becomes the tyrant, or he's a cold-blooded intellect, expressing the intellectual capacity, or that is one strong-willed man, expressing the capacity of will of the human soul. Man now became a three-part man. Now let me express what I mean by a three-part man. Once he was a one-part man, totally unified, spirit, soul, body, now he is divided into three parts. Now let me express what I mean. I'm overweight. Gradually winning the battle, thank God, it's taken many years, much, quote, training my soul. Sometimes the battle goes one way, sometimes the other, but gradually there's a steady, steady victory which is coming to me, and I thank God for that. Other things, area of anger, area of fear. I used to be a very fearful man. My grandfather, grandmother, they were very superstitious people. They used to tell me ghost stories when I was Little. And I would listen to a program called Lights Out. They would have me set up sometimes till midnight and hear this program, Lights Out. And there would be a squeaking door and the door would squeak, 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 clank and ah, you know, up. <laughs> I said, see, fear. And then one time it told a story about a man, uh, that, uh, he was in a steel mill with two of his buddies and there was nobody looking. They picked him up and they heaved him into a big pot of steel like this. he's gone like this, you know. And so one time, these two or three men who performed this murderous act. One of them was out jacking up his car one day, and he crawled under to get something, and here comes this voice out of the jack. Says, hello, Bill. You know who I am, Bill? <laughs> who are you? What are you doing? This is Joe. I am in the steel of the jack, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to break. Crash. Ah! See, I'm you know, after that, I've gone around anything steel. Are you in there, Joe? Are you... <laughs> well, now, you know, when I'm grown-up man, that doesn't influence me anymore. But when I was a little fella, that influenced me plenty. And then they would say, okay, you had a good time listening to it." Yes, grandmother. Yes, I Go to bed now, up the stairs and around the back and through the hall down there a dark way and into the bed. <laughs> no. My emotions very powerfully ruled my life, and fear was injected into me at a very early age. Now, okay, so now I'm a grown person, whatever caused me to overeat, or still does occasionally, or kind, whatever, the point I'm saying is this. My mind will say to me, because I've read that if you overeat, you get too much overweight, it's very bad for you, you can end up with varicose veins, that's one thing that happened to you. It could certainly end up possibly creating high blood pressure. You certainly could clog up the arteries with cholesterol. You certainly could shorten your life by many years. You certainly could. All all these things say, oh boy, the evidence is overwhelming. You have to lose weight. That makes sense to me. I give my wife, I say, we're going to lose weight. I tell you something, this and that, I say there are man, I've determined I'm going to lose weight. Okay, so here, my intellect and my will say you're going to lose weight, right? Now what? So I sit down at the table and I say, (laughs) intellect. That's enough. You've eaten 262 calories, and that's it. Now, something way down inside me says, Eat, eat, eat. (laughs) My intellect says, No. Yes. No. Yes. Then right this time, the hostess comes up and says, Here's my new angel food cake with this special dressing I put on just for you. Would you take a little bitty piece of it? Now, now, I want you to see the next thing now and see if you've experienced anything like this in your lifetime. In my mind is saying, no, no, but now it's getting easier. See, because my host is saying, yes, 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 two against one. See, I'm outnumbered. Lost the election there. All right. So now, my mind now does a interesting switch. It just flips around and says, well, this one time won't hurt me because tomorrow we will not eat so much and I will probably skip a meal and then I will not eat breakfast and then I will... Yes, I'll have that. <laughs> How many of you have ever experienced something like that? For one side of you says, No, no, no. Do you ever say, Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. How many? Can I see your hand? Okay. Now, another thing. You're walking by a cemetery at night. Maybe this wouldn't bother you now because cemeteries are different. They do have those tombstones up there. So I guess you can go along here and say... Oh, see, especially if you're raised like me. Now, a lot of people are not raised that way anymore. But I tell you, I thought the dead came out when it got dark. They came out they were walking around in there, see. And sometimes I'd have to walk in a, a place, you know, and i walk along there, and I'd come to the place, and I'd, oh. I'd go across the street. That still wasn't good enough. Have to go by it. No other way. So you walk by there, and pretty soon you're saying to yourself, now notice you're afraid. Like this. Pretty soon, you remember what your mother told you, says, now you just tell yourself you're not afraid. And then pretty soon you're saying to yourself, now Jim Birkin, you calm down. There's nothing to be afraid of. Your mother and your father told you it's okay. Now you just calm down. And how many of you ever noticed when you tell yourself that, after a little bit, sometimes you start, ah. Oh. Have you ever said, get yourself together? To yourself. You're not talking to anybody. You're saying, I'll well, get it together. See, and you, yeah, okay, but your emotions are, say, stop! Mm. Something is working different. One thing says one thing, but there's something else saying something else. And I tell you this, a man is divided into three parts. And we can go into this, and we will go into it from scripture. Spiritual has one thing it's saying. Soul has one thing it's saying. And the body sometimes has one thing it's saying. Sometimes your body can absolutely say, I'm utterly exhausted. How many of you ever experienced that? Just, oh, I can never move another muscle. I just can't do it. See? And you're really feeling that way. You're just, oh, it's been a terrible day. Oh, that's heavy. Someone calls up, hey, Jim, listen, I got, and, oh, we're going to go over there. Man, let's go over there. Yeah? Wow. now, what happened there? See? Their body was just utterly exhausted, they could never move another muscle. Then suddenly, zoom, full of energy and ready to go all the rest of the night and so forth and so. On. No, there are three distinct parts of man. Now, what God intended is the Christian should be spirit, soul, body, utterly expressing the life. See, we're to be utterly conformed to the nature and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a second thing that's taking place in this world is that the Bible says, John, The whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. When we grew up as youngsters, our whole training was not godly training. Even if we are raised in a Christian home, our parents, unless they were utterly perfect and we could have been kept in an utterly perfect atmosphere, we obtained some training contrary to good and godly principles and good and godly truth. But most of us didn't just receive some things. The majority of us got a full dose of what this world has to offer. And the Bible says Satan is the god of this world. Now, what Satan has carefully done through a principle that I'll call fact, 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 conclusion, he has carefully programmed our soulish man. That's why the Bible says, Romans 12, 1, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And well, he wasn't talking to brand new converts here, saying to a sinner, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He was talking to the Roman Christians and saying to them, you Roman Christians who are already transformed. People who know the Lord Jesus, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect acceptable will of God. All right, now, most of us, the battle is in the mind. I mind say, well, I know the word says that, but man, I tell you, my, see, well, I know what you say, but I know what I believe. Well, I know what that says, but I've got, see, and the mind is constantly contending against the word and contending against the spirit, contending against God. The Bible says these two are warring against the other. The one lusts against the other and the other against the other things are not compatible. The Bible says the carnal mind is a enmity with God. Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, what is that carnal mind? That carnal mind is the mind trained by this satanic world. Now, let me give you an example of that, a very clear example. In the New Testament, Peter was speaking to the Lord Jesus, and the Lord said, I'm going up to Jerusalem, I to suffer, bleed, and die, hang on the cross. Peter, the Bible says, began to take the Lord and shake him and say, this is insane. Put it in my It's insane. You're not going to do this, Lord. I love you. I want to keep you with me forever. I found you as a friend. I want to hold you as a friend. Don't leave me, Lord. You're not going to go up there. I'm going to shake some sense into your head. Now, notice what Jesus' answer is. He said, Satan, get behind me. You are an offense to me. For, now listen to this next word, you savor not of the things that be of God, but of, what's that word? But of Men. See? He didn't mean he had a demon in him. He meant that he was expressing that satanic nonsense that all mankind in their natural state expresses. Here's what Peter was actually saying. He wasn't saying I'm expressing the agape of God, the love of God, that you're expressing, Lord Jesus. I'm expressing I love me. I'm expressing that I love you because you do something for me, Jesus. I like to be around you. You're the one I want to be near to. And I am not letting you go. I don't care if 10 million people go to hell. That's all the same with me as long as I have you for me. That's mankind's normal thinking. Yeah. Mankind said, well, what about us? Well, the whole world is territory. Yeah, but what about me? But the whole world is? Yes, but I have my... See? Now, here's where Peter was. He said, I don't care about the rest of the world. Me, Lord! He said, get behind me, Satan, you offend me. You savor not of the things that be of God, but of men. Oh, in the eyes of men, that's very wise. Say, that's right. Then what about me? Maybe James here comes and says, that's right, Lord. What about me? I've been with you for three years, and I've got something coming, Lord. And John, that's right. I've got something coming too, Lord. Well, I tell you, we do have something coming. It's a good thing God doesn't give it to us. uh... (laughs) No, Jesus had to go to that cross. Later on, he would speak to Peter and say, when you're converted, Peter, then you strengthen your brother. You'll think differently about these things. See, your whole mind will be different. Alright, now I'm in this satanic world. This world, maybe I'm sitting at the, the dinner table. See, and maybe I, this is not so in my case, I didn't have brothers and sisters, many. But here, many, big family. And I'm a little tyke. I'm only three years old, and I'm just setting up the table, and I'm getting where I can reach a little bit, but not not really far enough. And there's biscuits on the table, and I love biscuits. And uh, I'm just sitting there, and here all the big brothers are down there, and the sisters, and there's only three biscuits left, and all the brothers, I'm starting to reach for it, and all the brothers, get away from there. And they grab the biscuits for themselves. I'm, I want a biscuit. Oh, mother. Oh, shut up, little Jimmy. Now, you never mind about that. Those brothers are out there working. They need that. you know. I get you. I've seen children like this, namely myself, in different situations, but any other child, the same way. But I'm sitting there in my mind, and I say, I see what you've got to be in this world, and I know it's fact. There were biscuits on that table. That's good. Fact. I wanted one of those biscuits. That's good. Fact three. I didn't get any of those biscuits. That's bad. Now, Satan now leads me to a conclusion. See, sin is going to impress me now. Here's my three facts. Fact, fact, fact. I draws from me a conclusion. You want to get yours in this life, you've got to be bigger, tougher, meaner, and dirtier. That doesn't happen all at once. And all the guys around you, or you're not going to get the biscuit. They're going to get the biscuit. See, and I'm sitting there. Remember, I told my dad this one time. He spanked me for something I did. I stood up there, and I said, I was only five years old. He died when I was five and a half. And I said, Remember to this day, because I remember what happened after, that's why I remember. <laughs> I said, you wait till I get big, I'll fix you. See? Now all that right, is in my mind. The way to do it is to get bigger, tougher, meaner than everybody around you. And I remember him getting up slowly and walking very slowly toward me. i all too fast, though, anyway. <laughs> But the point is that already in this satanically inspired world, I was learning my lessons. See, fact, fact, fact. Now, all that Satan has to do once that conclusion is there, fact, fact, he has to, and then, and I'll say, I automatically arrive at all the wrong conclusions about life, but I've been trained. Our whole soulish nature has been impressed with sin. Now, that's why we're apart. My spirit at times says, oh, I want God. And then it falls because it's weak. I'm talking about before I'm saved. But the soul says, but I'm committed to gratifying what I want. I want this. I want that. I'll have this. Give me this. I demand you must have this. The soul says, but spirit, what about? Be silent. We're going to have this. And the poor body is lashed into. Onward, more. We want this. Drive yourself. Get this. Have this. Do this. Force yourself. You must go on. And then one day it keels over because the machine cannot keep up anymore and the soul is dispatched out of the eternity and the spirit is without God and without hope in this world in the world which is to come. Now, God through Jesus Christ came into the world that the spirit of God might come into us, empower our spirits once again, unite us with him, bring the soul back into its proper place of submission where it can be spoken to. And I'm going to show you many scriptures in the Bible, where not only in the Old Testament, but many, many places out the Bible, that men of God spoke to their souls and commanded it, instructed it, trained it, taught it, the same you would do with a child. See, a child is an unruly soul. It's just rushing, it doesn't know Jesus Christ, so the spirit is not in touch with Jesus Christ. The soul is just doing its thing. You say, no, don't do it that way. See, and I said, I want to do it that. No, don't do it that way. I want to do it. Boom, 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 boom. No, don't do it that way. Ah, 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 ah. Okay, you understand? Yes, Father. Yes, Mother. Oh, that's a good little soul. See, now we might even call it that. That's right. And pretty soon, the soul that's trained properly will give you peace. Otherwise, if it's not trained properly, it's insane to try and raise a child without a proper discipline in the home. Now, the same thing I'm going to tell you is so of your own soul if it is not properly disciplined according to the word of God you will truly always remain in the 7th chapter of the book of Romans and I just want to read that as a concluding thing here and then lead us up to a contrasting set of scriptures 7th chapter of the book of Romans I'm going to start at the 14th verse for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold in the bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do what I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me, impressed into me, say. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, that aspect of his nature. For the wishing is present with me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then a principle that evil is present with me, the one who wishes to do good. Now... We do not wish that to be our Christian experience. Our Christian experience is to be summed up in the book of Philippians, this heart and mind and mentality of peace that says this. It's the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, sixth verse. It's already said, rejoice in the Lord always, fourth verse, and again I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now contrast that to the many, many times that myself or any minister of the Word of God has had to sit down with the people of God talking about the terrible things that have pursued them, the terrible things that have seized their lives, the broken homes, the hurt feelings, the estranged children, the failures and mistakes that all of us have made so terribly over our lifetimes. I remember one time, because my soul was not trained, Terrible thing entered into my life. It almost destroyed me completely. I wandered about for nearly three years like a vagabond and beggar on the earth. No, no understanding of what to do or how to solve that problem. And then God came to me and He told me one simple thing. He said, I want you to practice my word. Now I tell you, God does not often speak to me. There's some people that He does, apparently. And, uh, but I rather think that I, I know I've had an experience that kind of like you could say it's God like an internal impression, and then we kind of verbalize it to ourselves. You know, like we feel to do something, we say, the Lord told me to go over here and do this. But I tell you something, three times I've been spoken to by God. And I tell you when he speaks, you've crossed over into that eternal realm. You've heard something that you, you never forget. And I cried out to God, and I said, oh God, it's a time of terrible, terrible misery. I wouldn't have cared whether I lived or died. I hoped I had died before, but I hadn't died. And I cried out to God and said, Oh God, what is the answer? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, Behind everything in my word, you've added three words of your own, and those words are, but we know. And I thought of all the sermons I'd preached up to that time, although I'd been out of the ministry then for some two, three, four, five years. And he said, Behind everything in my word, you've added three words of your own, but we know. And I remember I'd say to the congregations I'd be preaching to, Jesus says this, but we know, or the Word of God says this, but we know, or the Bible teaches this, but we know. And then I would substitute the marvelous revelation of God, I would substitute my own thought processes. Don't believe this, believe this. And I destroyed people by that method, but most of all I destroyed myself. And for three years I wandered, I can't tell you how terrible it was, separated from my wife, separated from my children. Ministry gone, no hope for the future. And then I got down before God and said, Almighty God, I still believe. Help me, what's wrong? And he said to me, these things now, he said, henceforth, I want you to practice my word. Do it. Even if you don't understand it, do it. And the doing of it, you'll come to know what it means. Now, I didn't understand anything about soul training at that time. I didn't understand about speaking to myself. I didn't understand about any of those things. I didn't understand about using the Word of God, because I used it always improperly. But I got down before God and I said, Lord, help me to the best of my ability. I'm going to read the Scriptures through, and I'm going to try to do what that says in the simplest way. We're going to read the Word of God, we're going to believe it, and we're going to do it. When I told God that, I was like, I hit something solid. In a few weeks my wife was back with me, we began to rebuild our marriage, I was completely destroyed, I was broke, I didn't know how to earn money anymore, I just, life was, it was unbelievably terrible, and I want to tell you in the space of a very few years, God restored me, restored my ministry. He blessed us financially to where we got the place where if we don't want to work anymore, we don't have to work, but now I enjoy work. It's just a thrill, the excitement of working and laboring in the ministry. It's a joyful thing, but God blessed us financially, boundlessly. It's a wonderful thing. Our children today, which should have been utterly destroyed human beings, are they all saved, filled with the Spirit, all in the work of God, married to beautiful partners? Now, i tell you something. I speak to you tonight from experience. I've come from as low a place as any man could ever come from. I've been as much destroyed as any man could ever be destroyed. And I've seen God piece by piece because I practiced this word, put me together, put my wife together, put the children together, and those children were destroyed. I can't tell you my terrible bullying and yelling and screaming and thundering. I'm just filled with that kind of fear when I saw it. Terrible. Unbelievably terrible. And today, they've all been put back together by this marvelous God we serve. He restored my ministry. He taught me how to practice the principles of prosperity. He has blessed me with health. He has blessed me with strength. He has blessed me with people who love me. I'm totally surrounded on every hand by every good thing that heart could wish. I tell you, if you'll put to work the principles that we're gonna be talking about the next few times, you're gonna find they'll transform your life. If you've got spots in it that you just hate Because they're there. You wish they were gone. And things that lurked. And when you try to get the victory, they just twist you down. And make you do things, like I said in the seventh chapter of Romans, you verily hate to do it. Yet, there they are. The very evil you hate, you end up doing. The very things you do not wish to do, you end up doing. Then I tell you, if you put these principles to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, you'll transform your entire life. And you'll be able to walk as Jesus walked. Amen.